Carlton Pearson rejected much of what the Bible teaches, and unfortunately, many still considers him a Christian. Force or seeking spirit, I say seeking self. That when you're seeking God, you're really seeking yourself. We're going to change the name of this service to experience. Is Carlton Pearson a man of God? We're going to talk about that here on All Things Theology. Cue my theme music. All Things Theology, All Things Theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta get that theology to God. Hollow because this is how we do it at All Things Theology. Yo, grace and peace, and welcome back to an episode of All Things Theology, where this is your host, K-Dub, and we're going to talk about the legacy of Carlton Pearson. If you didn't know, or you know, you've been under a rock, Carlton Pearson recently died, and there has been much conversation about what do we do with Carlton Pearson, and when I say with Carlton Pearson, what do we do with what he believed, what he taught in light of Christian orthodoxy, uh, the Bible, you know, I, I recently started responding to these things because there were many men who claimed that Carlton was a Christian. Oh, he had minor disagreements, minor little things over here and there. But overall, his legacy is one that we should celebrate. That's what we're being told. Uh, many people, when I made a video about Carlton, they were saying, oh, he was a Christian. He just denied hell. But other than that, he, he was pretty good. Well, one, one thing we're going to see in this video is Carlton Pearson. Let me say this, and I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. Carlton Pearson hated God. Carlton Pearson hated the Bible. And Carlton Pearson hated the gospel. I'm going to inundate you with clips until that is seen over and over and over again, Sandlot style, right? Um, very clearly, that's going to be the case. Not only did he deny hell, actually, that's one of the least concerning parts. Carlton Pearson denied the Christian faith and not only denied it, was vehemently attacking the faith from within, from within churches who call themselves Christians. You know, for many people, all you have to do is wear the badge of Christian and that is automatically to give you the give you a pass. Speak positively about some vague Jesus and then everybody else is supposed to accept you. And right. And when someone like me comes along and say, no, that's a false Christ, you're you're worshiping. You're not truly a Christian. I'm seen. You're seen as the mean person. But again, Carlton Pearson sounds like your average YouTube atheist. I mean, so one could argue atheists actually have more respect for Jesus than Carlton. I mean, I'm going to show that over and over. I mean, you, you, by the time we get done with this, you're going to be OK. We get the point. But let's start off with his view of hell. And so. Matter of fact, let me share you with you some categories we're going to get into. Obviously, we're going to talk about uh, his view of hell. We're going to talk about his view of the divine, uh, his view of the atonement, uh, his view of sin, uh, universalism and other issues, uh, the Bible and Jesus and God himself. You know, whether that's the father or, or the son, we're going to get into that. So let's let's start off with, you know, some things we probably already know, let's, which is his view of hell has worried me more in my faith walk than the possibility that we're failing as Christians and losing so many people to hell. That has been the thing that has gnawed at me all my life until I stopped believing in it. So notice his solution to get rid of the worry, the guilt or, you know, the concern of people going to hell is just to get rid of it as if 
you not imagining something anymore actually solves that dilemma. Um, this isn't how we get rid of anything. You know, you can deny sin, you know, existence, but sin still exists. Just go down the street. You're going to find sin. And so that's Carlton what he does with a lot of self-proclaimed problems he has, you know, with theological problems. He just makes it disappear. Eh, just stop believing in it. And, you know, you know, so again, the Bible is not his authority. And we're going to see that over and over. Um, and that, that's what the gospel of inclusion was. At first, I actually believed in hell. I just didn't believe anybody would be in it because of the finished work of the cross. That was my Christian perspective. And of course, that didn't go over well. Uh, so I went through some hell. Uh, I believe everybody goes through hell, but that nobody ultimately goes to hell. So for Carlton, hell is not a place of final judgment. Uh, you know, we begin gnashing of the teeth like the Bible says. Hell is just a physical reality that we kind of go through now. Essentially, it's, it's just bad things that happen on earth. You're suffering. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You're, you're, you, know, you, you and your wife are kind of, you know, going through y'all's marital issues. That's hell for Carlton. But the Bible doesn't describe hell like that. I know we use that as kind of some kind of colloquial colloquialism today. Oh, man, you know, they're just giving me hell. Right. But the Bible speaks of this hell as a final judgment for the wicked, which Carlton, he rejects in any way. Um, only this is just the kind of uh, reality here that, again, it's just bad times we go through. Uh, the thought is um, weird. The late Mark Twain said, faith is believing in something you you know ain't so. <laughs> which means you don't know it's so. Faith is for people who doubt, not denounce because I have it too. Faith is for when you don't know. When you know, you don't need to believe. You don't need to be convinced. That is absurd because the Bible doesn't define faith like that. I know we, I know that's kind of how American evangelicalism kind of uses faith. Oh, it's like, you know, I, I just, I just, I just have faith. I have, you know, and what they mean is, you know, I'm just kind of trusting blindly, uh, that something's going to happen. What, what he's describing is not faith, but it's fideism. This uncertainty of, 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 you know, kind of reality, you know, but how does the Bible define faith? The Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11 and 1 as faith is actually the assurance. We know without a doubt it is the assurance of things hoped for. And when the Bible uses hope for, it's not like, oh, well, I hope it's going to rain next week. That's not how the Bible uses hope. Um, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. And so for, for Christians, we, we should not hold to this faith as, as if it's anti-evidence, anti-knowledge. The Bible doesn't use faith that way. But, you know, again, we're going we're gonna to keep making this point. But uh, let's, let's go on more so with uh, this view of hell. Oh, that's right. I'll build my uh, church gates of Hades shall not prevail. Jesus actually never used the literal uh, Anglo word hell. He used the word which would be Aramaic or Hebrew Gehenna meaning gully or Now this is a silly argument. Of course he didn't use the Anglo word. What he's, what he's meaning when he says Anglo is the English word. English didn't exist yet. So why, why, why would this be a big point of contention? Um, and, and I've heard him say this multiple multiple times. Oh, the, you know, the, the, the apostles, they didn't speak no English. Of course they didn't. <laughs> it's, it's silly. Yeah, Jesus used this word Gehenna, uh, you know, and then he's going to go on to talk about the town dump. He uses that re that uh, reality to speak of a final judgment place that God will send the wicked to, which he doesn't believe any of this. 
valley or gorge of Hinnom, the sons of Hinnom. It had been there, as I've said earlier, at least 500 years when he spoke to the people in the first century because Jeremiah makes reference to it, and there's a reference earlier in the book of Chronicles. But Jesus makes the reference to the town dump in the southeast side of the old city of Jerusalem. I've been there at least 12 times. It doesn't exist anymore. It's just the park benches and, and palm trees, and it's a beautiful, casual area where people come. Many don't know that that was the town dump where carcasses of animals and, and strangers and and because sometimes there, in the first century, there's many as, million, as million or two million people living in the surrounding area, but everybody brought their junk and their, their, their garbage to that place. Dante is the one who made eternal punishment exotic and real and as well as Christian. So he's saying, you know, people really didn't believe in hell until Dante. Later on in history, that's kind of when we have hell. Uh, again, Colton is a historical revisionist. Uh, there's much evidence. Matter of fact, I, I mean, it's kind of a little early, but I wanted to do this later. But this very clearly this idea and this concept of hell existed early in the church. Just go to Justin Martyr. He says in his uh, first apology, first apology of Justin, uh, this is written in 150 AD, by the way, very early on. He says, for among us, the prince of the wicked spirits is called the serpent and Satan and the devil. And as you can learn by looking into our writings. And that he would be sent into the fire with his host and the men who follow him and would be punished for endless duration. Christ foretold. Um, I mean, I can go on forever with this issue. Uh, Iranius of Lyons. Uh, uh, yeah, he says the in his against heresy, which was written in 189 A.D. He says the penalty increases for those who do not believe the word of God and despise his coming. Like Carlton, it is not merely temporal. But eternal to whomever the Lord shall say, depart from me, accursed ones, into the everlasting fire, they will be damned forever. I mean, my goodness, guys, I can go on and over. This isn't a cat. The hell is not a Catholic invention. It is a God invention. God created hell to uh, torment the wicked, to to uh, unleash his wrath on the wicked and now Cardin doesn't like the idea of God having wrath he doesn't like a God who displays justice he wants the God you know we want the God that's just favorable to us wait right? we want all the grace the love the mercy but we don't like the justice the wrath the holiness and that's going to become evident the more and more we get through this back in the 12th century the Catholic Church bought into that. The Roman Catholic Church fully embraced Dante's work because it, it put enough fear in the hearts of people that they filled up the cathedrals and kept the coffers of money full. Religion still does that, based more on fear than on faith. Now, he's kind of just trying to say, hey, you know, um, you know, hell was really invented to to uh, get people to fear and, um, you know, to, to get money. Let me just say this. I don't believe you can scare any sinner uh, by hell. Uh, especially if they're not convicted. I mean, pe people don't care about hell today. And so uh, people aren't giving their money to churches for, for hell, uh, you know. And so it's just a very, very interesting concept that he uh, conjures up. But he, now he's about to unleash on his hatred for hell. Listen to this. Now, I just don't believe in blood gods that, that demand blood sacrifices the way I think that's pagan. I think it's, it's borrowed mythology. It but notice that's an actual uh, a mockery of the crucifixion. And the atonement of Christ. He's I don't believe God will require blood sacrifice. That's 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 pagan. That's pagan. 
you know, and so so clearly in a, in a mockery. And again, we're going to see him mock God all throughout these clips. Again, as I said in the beginning, Carlton Pearson hated God. He hated what the Bible said about the atonement. He hates what the Bible says that, uh, you know, without the forgive, without the shedding of blood, no man shall see God. No man shall be forgiven. He hated that. He hated the uh, the substitutionary uh, atonement of Christ. Uh, but again, we're going to get into that. Since God as very angry and untrusting or untrustable, not worthy of our trust. The concept of eternal as if God is 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 out there vying for your trust. My, my friend, let this be known. God doesn't need anything from you. <laughs> He's not there begging you. Oh, please love me. Love me. Love me. Sweet. Love me. All this. God isn't out there begging like some R&B singer, you know, some 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 boyfriend that broke up with you. He has his jukebox playing by your window that you would love him. God isn't desperate for your love. Right. And so I know that's how many people present God. He's he's just out there just trying so hard, trying so hard to get to love you. Look, repent and believe or you will perish. That's the only only commands out there. Right. And so. Um, but, yeah, let's hear what he has to say about hell. The concept of eternal doom or damnation in a literal or even imagined customized torture chamber and or lake of fire and brimstone is the most obscene, repugnant caustic and emotionally costly religious ideology of the ancient and modern theological construct. Now, I just want to know how he describes hell as this this torture chamber, you know, because that that signifies the idea. Right. You think of torture, that people are innocent, that people don't deserve what they're actually getting. You know, he says it's repugnant, insane, all this. Yet Colton's professes, uh, you know, confession was that Jesus is Jesus believed in hell. You know, the problem with liberalism, with ideas like this, is they think they're smarter than their all knowing God. But Colton was not. And neither are we. You know, I, I am of the philosophical mind. Hey, if God said it, we should believe it. I am simple minded like that. Hey, call me simple minded. That's fine. I will trust in the all knowing mind, <laughs> you know, and so again, Hatred of the atonement. And we're going to we're going to visit that topic more in a second. Hatred of the atonement, hatred of God's wrath. Much of, of Colton Pearson's theology was rooted in his denial that God has any wrath. He did not respect God, Yahweh, who has wrath. He viewed that as. And, and so his his denial of God's wrath is actually what led him to things that, uh, you know, to the of a denial of hell. Uh, it, it It's what denied him. It's what led him to a denial of the penal substitutionary work of Christ. All these issues. And so fundamentally, Carlton Pearson's uh, theology is rooted in his hatred for God's wrath. Again, we're going to see that over and over. So we've gone through uh, the issue of hell. Let's go to what Carlton Pearson believed about uh, God uh, or our, our nature. Carlton Pearson believed uh, in the idea that we are ourselves divine. Uh, we ourselves are gods. So let's get into these clips here. Ecclesia, the called ones on a rock of authority in Christology, the logic of one sent. And to me, that doesn't just mean him being sent, but all of us being sent to this plane or planet to experience our divinity and express it. So notice, not only was Christ uh, sent divinely. Now he's going to deny that later. Uh, but you you yourselves are sent 
in your divine nature. Again, he's going to be more explicit about this in a second. What if creation wanted to experience its creation? And here we are as humans struggling and imagining that we are divine, that we are like God in that we create stuff like this and sound systems and lights and electricity. So he says, so, you know, we're struggling with this concept and idea that we are divine. But one of the things he appeals to say, hey, we are divine. We are godlike is because we can can create. Here's the difference between how you create and how God creates. You need substance. You need matter. God creates ex nihilo. He doesn't need anything to create. He can speak and it come into being and existence. And so for Carlton Pearson, there is no creature creator creature distinction. You know, one of the things with false religion is they constantly do things like this. You know, they have to denigrate God, you know, bring him down and they have to elevate man, bring him up. So by the time you get to it, man and God are very close, you know. And so but again, he's going to continue in on this uh, this human divinity. What I some of the things I think is going to happen. Human nature is a part of the divine and. Uh, your personal divinity, human nature is a part of the divine and a part of your human divinity as a living being. The being part of you is divine. Human being, being human. Okay? This is what we call sacred energy. I like to say secret energy, which is present in all of our lives individually and overall life itself. There's an energy there. It has many names. Spirit, chi, Life force, animating force, inner light, essence, air, time, intelligence. But it's definitely present and is what ratifies and validates our existence in time and space as humans. There's a sacred, powerful energy or activity. So very clearly, again, we're going to have a few more clips on this issue. Colton Pearson believed that the human human beings are fundamentally divine the substance of us is can be qualitatively called god um, or divine again we're going to get into that but l l listen listen to this because this word actually it bleeds to again you know heresy and false doctrine have a direction they have uh you know a a, a consequence and this is some of it let's get hit get into this here you can experience air without knowing air can i experience what some people call God, some ultimate reality, some some transcendent rhythmic regional reach of consciousness that's beyond uh, my full grasp and experience that or express that as my own divinity. I think the closest to God any of us may ever get is our own self-realization. Did you hear that? Colton Pearson says the closest we'll ever get to God is our own self-realization. That's because Carlton believed fundamentally that we are gods and that we shouldn't seek some outer being. We're going to get to that in a second. Don't seek that which is outside of yourself. Seek yourself. Doesn't that sound satanic? But again, I'm saying that's what he says, but we're going to play that in a second. When you really get to know who you are in your amazing, uh, complex scientific, biological, physiological, psychological essence, when you really get to know who you are, that may be as close to what you may consider God you'll ever become, because you are amazing. Turn to somebody and say, you are amazing. 
Oh my God. No, we're not. We are in desperate need of a savior. We are desperately wicked, as the Bible says. So fundamentally, you know, so he believed that we're divine, right? All, all of these issues, but it fundamentally affects how he views mankind. We're not sinful as the Bible says we are. Carlton Pearson didn't believe any of that. No, we got to get rid of all that. You're amazing. You're, 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 there is nothing fundamentally wrong with you in Carlton Pearson's view. So therefore, a need of some kind of, uh, you know, savior from your sin and God's wrath is unnecessary, completely unnecessary in Carlton uh, Pearson's theology. One of the things you're going to see is Carlton Pearson imbibes and embodies a lot of this just classical liberalism that uh, has been floating around since uh, German higher criticism and things like that. Uh, but let me show you one more clip because this is where it gets. I mean, this was the more, most blasphemous. If you thought the last clip was blasphemous, this is bad, too. Go along very much with the things that Marlon already said and with the theme of the month, which is. And so, oh, yeah, let me let me continue playing it. Sorry seeking God or seeking source or seeking force or seeking spirit. I say seeking self hmm. that when you're seeking God, you're really seeking yourself. We're going to notice what he says. When you're seeking God, you're really seeking yourself again. That's because Colton fundamentally believe we are God. There's no need for this higher power. I mean, he's going to kind of mock that idea a little later. There's no need for a higher power. We are the higher power. When you seek yourself, you are seeking God. So there's see, so fundamentally there would be no need for self-denial as Jesus taught, no need for taking up the cross and following him alone. No need for all of that. I mean, in this view, there is no such thing as idolatry or self self idolatry because you yourself are God. So guess what? God gets to determine the rules. He gets to determine morality and ethics. You see how this is actually dangerous and problematic. Now, all the people saying Colton is Christian, how is this Christian? How is the fact that you're God and you are to seek yourself? Fundamentally, the Bible rejects all this, but I know there will be people that will still make excuse for it. But again, we're going to even show further how Colton denied much of Christian orthodoxy. But let's let's keep playing this clip here. Change the name of this ex service to experience. And it's not just experiencing God. It's really experiencing yourself as one. So it's, it's this, all this, you know, this church experience is not about experiencing God. <laughs> we don't need that. Experience yourself. Or experiencing your God self. And when we sing songs about worship and about the name of God, and, and God is Listen. not a name, God is a title. The name of God is whatever your name is, because you are the only God experience that you're going to have. So the name of God, the I am, right? is really yourself. It's your name, you know, and we're to experience that. Again, my friends, this is nothing but classic idolatry. This is nothing but the Satan's hiss in the garden, right? This is a denial of what the Bible teaches. And, and he, again, we're going to make it clear in a second. He has no respect for what the Bible says. None at all. Is when you experience your deepest, most real self, and when you study and experience and then express that self, I think that may be as close to God as you'll ever be. In fact, as close to anything that you'll ever be is your experience of that thing. You've heard me say before many times, if you say you love somebody, you're saying you love the part of yourself that you experience when you're with that 
person. So again, for Carlton, it is all it is. It is again, his fundamental religion is about self. Seek self. That is Carlton's ideology. Um, again, doesn't that sound demonic? Doesn't that sound like exactly what Satan? Matter of fact, that is the fundamental thing with other religions. Other religions teach you seek thyself, man's highest good. I, I, I mean, this this is rooted in classic uh, Satanism. You know, uh, there's no need for all the all these gods. Man is the the chief end of all these things. So we've gone through his view of hell. We've gone through his view of uh, uh you know the human nature, which is really divine. Now we're going to get into his issue on the atonement, and boy, does it get interesting. I have a few more clips on this, so let's 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 start off and make our way through it. I often ask my precious uh, fundamentalist friends and evangelical friends, do we need Jesus to protect us from God? Now, even the framing of that sounds a bit strange, as if the father is some kind of abusive uh, f father. You know, and Jesus is kind of, you know, the policeman who comes in and saying, stop, stop, stop. Uh, again, I don't like how he even frames this, but, it, you know, it's going to get worse. You could say God's hell, but God, if God sponsored hell, if God invented hell, if God had a thing, what can I do to really get these crazy people who don't believe I love them? I, again, a lot of this framing, you know, that God, first of all, God knows all things. So him even, you know, presenting God the Father is, you know, in heaven, kind of like, man, how can I really torture these people? You know, like just because they don't believe I love them as if that's why you go to hell. You go to hell for your sin. You have broken God's law. You have violated God's law. You go to hell for your sin. And so not not just, oh, you don't love him. You know, it's like you, you violated all of God's law. And so, yeah. What can I do if they don't believe I love them and that my mercy endures forever? I got to come up with something. Silly. If they don't accept my son, whom I'm going to send down there, and he's going to die for them, and that's something this God required, a blood transaction, a vicious, bloody asphyxiation on a cross. A sin bearer. Let's use biblical, accurate language. A, 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 propitia, a propitiation, right? Expiation, you know? Jesus paid the penalty for us and not some blood transfusion. I mean, again, even how he describes it, he sounds like an at your average atheist. You know, if you if I didn't tell you this was in a church, you would have thought this was your average a annual atheist convention, because that's how he sounds from the pulpit. I'll he'll give up his breath and his blood and he will actually suffocate almost nude after having been beaten with a cat of nine tails and in the bottom of, end of each of those strips of leather, there would be some sharp shell or rock. And so when it hits, it tears the flesh. Put a crown of thorn, thorns, the, some of those thorns, and I've seen it would go at least an inch into the skull. Make a spectacle of it. Then I'll forgive. Kill him hard. And then I'll forgive those who believe in my love, so viciously ordained. They gotta love me. If you don't love me and believe in me, I will kill you and torture you. That's the only choice you have. Again, he, he presents God as some kind of capricious, needy, ex-boyfriend kind of God. Um, it, it's not, uh, you know, it's not this 
well, he again, he's framing this in a very, uh, again, a skeptic, skeptic way. This is how the skeptics present all this. Again, because of your sin, you automatically deserve the wrath of God. Jesus came to save his people, right? I, I, of course, I, I'm, I, I, I come from this from a reform perspective. But even then, you know, even my Armenian brothers would agree with me that you must believe. You must repent and believe in the gospel. And so, it, you know, all, all this, again, this all stems from his universalism as well. But yeah. Love me, worship me, serve me, you creep. And if you don't, to hell with you. Now, we would never say it that way. Yeah, of course not. Because the Bible doesn't say it that way. Again, you got to read the Bible in a skeptic lens to come from it from that perspective. Matter of fact, God is being gracious and patient. Well, at, at that moment, we're Carlton, but many people who reject God, who hate God, who sin every day, God is being gracious, patient, kind, long-suffering, that he does not just take them out right then and there, because for God would be just even if he did that. But again, we're going to get into more of the theology of Carlton Pearson when it comes to the atonement. He clearly did not like this issue of Jesus being a substitute for the unrighteous. So there's a there's a famous passage in in scripture at the in the familiar the Philippian jailer said, "What must I do to be saved?" This was after Paul and Silas had been incarcerated, and about and then there was an earthquake, and at midnight they were sing they began to sing and worship God at midnight, and there was an earthquake, and the, the jailer kind of passed out for a minute, and he rushed to get his prisoners because he'd be uh, he'd be prosecuted if he lost them, and Paul and Silas were sitting in there still in chains praising God, and they freaked out because they didn't run, Come on, and they said what, the guy said well now. What, how did this happen? What, what do I need to do to be saved from the earth? Very interesting response that you get from the apostles than what you would have gotten, got from Carlton Pearson. For if the Carlton Pearson was there in the jail, he would have said nothing. What must I do, do to be saved? Nothing. For you're going to be saved no matter what. Just relax. All is good. All is well. Is that how the apostles answered? Absolutely not. Quake. For what did they say? believe in the Lord Jesus. So notice what is necessary for salvation. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not what Colton believes. Or from the Roman government or from Judaism or from, what are you, if you are saved, from what are you saved? Ah, great question. The Bible speaks about this, Isaiah 53. We are saved from the wrath of God. Um, we are saved from the wrath of the lamb. Guess what? Jesus has wrath as well. We are saved from our sins. We are saved from God's wrath, you know. And so, yeah, many people, you know, they present salvation as, oh, just been saved from having a bad life. That is not salvation. Now, that is a result of salvation in some sense, right? Jesus qualitatively makes our lives better. It is much better to live righteously than it is to live sinfully. But that ultimately is not salvation. Sal salvation, that is a fruit of salvation, but salvation is being delivered, saved from God by God. Your sins, your God, the wrath of your God, a devil, a husband or wife, a teenager, 
Sometimes when your ch children are going through that teenage sp spell, you can understand why some animals eat their young. <laughs> so, oh my God, I need saving, I need salvation from my children. Need salvation from the job. I'm threatened. In whatever level you feel threatened, you feel consciously you want to be saved or protected or rescued. Religion is the richest entity in industry organization on the planet. Why? Because it is based on profound and pronounced faith in fear. Absolutely not. It is not faith in fear. One, it's faith in Christ. And because we have faith in Christ, we no longer fear. There's no longer any condemnation. Now, he presents God. Now, yeah, I've listened to a lot of his content. Guys, I've listened to, again over 40 hours of Coulter and Pearson uh, lectures and sermons since his passing. And one of the things he presents is, you know, for the saved person, you're still living in this kind of this this fearful moment because God could strike you dead any moment. You know, and he can he can take that salvation that he gave you. You know, it, the Bible doesn't present God as that way for the believer. For the believer, no, uh, there, there's per perfect love cast out fear, right? We, we no longer live uh, in this fear because God has saved us. He's graciously saved us. And we trust that, that uh, the God who saved us will keep us. And so he, he wants to present God in this very capricious manner, you know, uncontrollable anger, just this, this uh, you know, this, uh, you know, kind of childlike temper tantrum God throws around on people. Again, very terrible from from the man of God. Right. This, this is what I constantly hear. Colin Prison was a man of God, man of God. Well, the man of God was constantly attacking God. Fear based theologies both rule and in many cases ruin the cultures of the planet. Talk to me, somebody. Both fear of, of gods and devils or gods and demigods or demon gods, the perceived cosmic conflict remains eternal, backed by the concept of eternal life or eternal damnation. A god who can be angered is frightening. Let me make a statement that's, that may be uncomfortable to all of you. Any god who can be killed should be. Mm, somebody said, well, what the, what? Absolutely. Because you know what that's a denial of? The incarnation. For Jesus, right, God came into flesh, right, John 1, 1 through 14, or John 1, 1 through 18. God came into flesh, condescended to die, to take on the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. Now, Carlton Pearson says any God that can be killed should be killed. We, we should kill him and get rid of him. That's what he means. Again, that is a fundamental denial of the incarnation. Again, this is the, the beloved man of God, 50 year legacy that I'm supposed to um, bow down to and, and applaud and, and celebrate. This skeptic in the pulpit, this man who made uh, Bart Ehrman appear godly, this man who was demonic in the pulpit. Yes, I'm using strong language, my friends, because this man didn't believe the Bible. This man hated the Bible, but stuck around Christian knees. And he used Christian language to infiltrate into the church. Guys, we have to be on guard. Paul warned us in Acts 20 that men will come within, not outside the body, 
They will come from in, within to to secretly destroy you with destructive heresies. And my friend, Carlton embodied destructive heresies. Now, we're going to continue on this issue of atonement. Again, I want to take my time here as we get into this issue again. He hated the wrath of God. God was the big meaning. You know, and we shouldn't appreciate that God. That, that's Colton Pearson's view. We shouldn't appreciate a God, the God who has wrath. You know, as the Bible says, God is an all consuming fire. Colton hated that and believed that was totally uh, unfair or, you know, not necessary. But uh, let, let, let you hear from him, though. Going, we said, tell me what do you think about Jesus? He's all right. Tell me what do you think about Jesus? He's all. And boy, we would sing that and shout, and and uh, we would just say, He's all right. You know why Christians love Jesus, and not just Christians, but Hindus, Mahatma. Many people love Jesus. I would reject that other religions actually love Jesus. For if they love Jesus, they would follow Jesus. But. Again, this, this is actually a minor point to the main point he's about to make. Because Jesus seems to be kinder than God. <laughs> or those who believe that Jesus is God believe that he's a better God than God. Absolutely not. Jesus isn't a kinder God than God the Father, nor is he a better God. For one, they both are in agreement. Jesus isn't wasn't sent down to control God, the God, the father's just uncontrollable wrath. And just, you know, Jesus is in agreement with the father. They are in agreement. They are one. So to present God this way is actually to speak terribly about the son as well. When I say God, I'm speaking about the father to speak about the father in such this way is actually a denial of the son. Since the son is in agreement with the father about the father's wrath. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the we, we're going to be saved, uh, that people that the, the lamb of the wrath is going to be poured out on people as well. So guess what? The son has wrath as well. Or better at being God than God. Why? Because Jesus protects you from God or God's anger or God's wrath. The whole concept. You know, this picture right here made me very sad just to see this young child being inundated now of course they probably don't understand all this but they're being raised in a heretical church and guys this is why i care you know colton pearson he did his own thing he he, he was not going to listen right obviously no not anymore he's gone but there's souls there's lives at stake right and there are people being uh, taught a false gospel and so people, you, you know, just leave them alone, leave them alone. There's a legacy at stake that Colton Pearson's theology is still around through men like Mike Todd. Right. And, and um, his parents and uh, Gary McIntosh and all, all the people there, William Murphy, all the people that were there just singing his praises. This is why it, it, it matters. Is that God is temperamental, has anger management issues can fly off the handle and throw tantrums in a earthquake or a hurricane or a tornado or AIDS or cancer or high blood pressure. So God, in Carlton Pearson's view, speaking of the father, is just this uncontrollable being who who's just who's, you know, anything can set him off. You know, you, 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 you know, turn the wrong way. God's just zap, you know. But is that how the Bible actually presents God? There has never been one person who was the object of God's wrath that didn't deserve God's wrath. 
that actually sounds like self-control to me. And so, again, this is how someone this again, he's supposed to be a man of God speaking about God in this manner. Again, if I didn't tell you Carlton Pearson was a you know Christian singer, if you didn't know anything about this guy, you would think he is just so, your average atheist speaking at some kind of atheist convention. But again, this is why I say in the beginning, and I, and I believe at this point I'm establishing my point that Carlton hated God. It's, a, it's sad, but there's no question he hated God. Look how he speaks. There's, where's the reverence? Where's the adornment of God? Where's the love of God for the things God loves and says? I don't see. I didn't see any of it. But we're going to continue on with this issue. Two more clips on this issue of atonement and then we'll move on. They wanted to reclaim their Hebraic, Judaic nationality. I want you to listen to this. I'm going to play this all the way through because this is absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. Notice what he says salvation is being, you know, when they when they cry out, save us. Watch what he says they're talking about speaking of uh, you know the apostles the jews you know people in the new testament watch what he says own and prevail preside predominate over that strip of land about the size of new jersey that's called israel surrounded by their palestinian supposedly foals way back then save us it was a political statement it was a statement of nationality and culture. It had nothing to do with going to heaven, but it did have something to do with escaping hell on earth. Maybe in some ways it still means that. So for Colton, save us has nothing to do with, you know, our, our sins per se or heaven or hell. It actually has to do with just our physical condition. That is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Salvation has to do with one, I would argue, knowing God coming to him for our, our rescue, not just from our, our, our lowly estate here on earth, right? Because the apostle, if that's the case, then the apostles that weren't, weren't saved. Many people in the New Testament weren't saved. So it can't mean that for many poor people, right? People who had lowly estates were saved in the Bible. But again, all salvation is just a political statement, you know, just just being saved from, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, our earthly matters. Absolutely not. One more clip. One more clip. Uh, again, he's echoed some of this already. So we'll, we'll try to get through this. So let's let's play this here. Would you really love God and serve God uh, if uh, he didn't threaten you for otherwise? If somebody says, I love you and you better believe it. And if you don't believe it, I'm going to kill you. And I'm a As if God said that anywhere. But again, notice how he has to frame and present God. This crazy psycho boyfriend who, if you don't love me and be with me and stay committed, I'll set your car on fire. Again, you know, I know that's how many people present this in the evangelical circle, God, that he's begging for your love. And then he just has to send you to hell because he don't want to do it. You know, I know that's how much, much, many people frame or similarly frame the issue. But God's not begging for anybody's love. Again, repent and believe. Right. Repent or perish. Again, torture you forever. And my name is God. And the only way you can get free from my wrath is Jesus. Well, do we need Jesus to protect us from God? You need Jesus to save you from his wrath and from the father's wrath. Absolutely. I mean, so a couple of pastors that speaks about this, you know, uh, Romans 325 speaks about the propitiation, 
right? God, speaking of the father, put forth as a propitiation by his blood, speaking of the son, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former, former sins. Now, the issue of propitiation has to do with the appeasement of wrath. Now, in Carlton's theology, he, he, he gets rid of all that. God, God, a God with wrath, a God needing to be appeased. That's pagan. That's pagan thought. You know, so essentially he argues Christianity is paganism. Are he and the accuser of the brethren called the deceiver in cahoots? And Jesus protects us from both of them. A lot of this stuff is nonsense. A lot of this stuff is just stupid. Now, what he's calling nonsense and stupid is the gospel. My friend, he is saying that the gospel is silly and stupid. But I'm supposed to believe he's a man of God. And I know it's sacred. My mother's here. My dad, my family. We all have loved this. I preached it with the best and the rest of it. Then I had an awakening. No, you had an apostasy. That's what it's called. Let's use some biblical language. You became an apostate because you reject what you once claimed to hold to, yet you confessed. Um, again, any man who speaks about the gospel in that manner, uh, I have no respect of. Uh, but let's get to this issue of sin. What does Carlton think of sin and uh, various sins and, uh, you know, people who reject God? What about their sins? I thought this, this clip here was interesting. I'll play this here for you. Or his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. I have a friend that argues with me, a preacher friend, always arguing about sin and sin consciousness and we need to preach against it. Jesus says that God was in Christ, uh, Paul says that God was in Christ reconciling the world, the cosmos to himself, not counting. The King James says imputing or computing or counting men's sins against them. So if God doesn't count men's sins against them. I'm talking religious now, religion stuff, Christianity, uh, because of Christ. Why does the church get such a pleasure in counting people's sins? So he again. So the issue of repentance, uh, faith in Christ, none of none of that is is mentioned. It's it's not really significant. But again, notice he ha he kind of code switches. You know, he speaks in this new thought. Which, uh, by the way, uh, check out brother Rick Caldwell's uh, video. He he breaks down new thought very well. Again, I'm not going to labor to uh, get into these issues. But new thought will use and borrow Christian lingo, but they don't mean the same thing. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, just, you know, you speak about this with other religions. You have to be careful. This is why it's good to ask what people, uh, what do you mean when you say, you know, uh, a certain definition? When, if you ever talk to Mormons, you'll find out very quickly that though you guys may be using the same vocabulary, they don't mean the same thing you may mean. So for you, glorification is is being, you know, the, the final consummation of all things. But for a Mormon, glorification is becoming your own God, ruling on your own planet. And so clearly, if you don't define your terms, you'll be, you know, kind of just speaking past one another. So that's why I, rec I recommend Brother Rick Caldwell's video on New Thought, because he he really uh, labors in some definitional things of Carlton Pearson. You, you'll definitely be blessed about that. So uh, let me go back. because so now I forgot the second point I was going to make. Christianity uh, because of Christ. Why does the church get such? Oh, yeah. Why do we talk about sins? Right. Well, because the Bible says we, we talk about sins. We, we Sin doesn't just go away. Right now for the believer, the uh, the, the penalty, the final penalty uh, is done. The power presence. Right. All that. But there are still consequences and we have to deal with sin. I mean, we're to kill sin. 
things like this. And so he, he just kind of said, oh, Jesus paid it all for, for every single person, rather regardless of what you do, rather regardless of what you, you know, how you live. None of all that matters. Well, well there, so fundamentally, there is no sin, even in Carlton's view. In counting people's sins. And Paul goes on, to, John says that you cannot sin once you've confessed Christ. And John was very clear. Because you read the first chapter, he says, anyone who says they were without sin, they're a liar and the truth is not in them. John is to be speaking about the practice of sin again. But but again, Carlton acts like he believes any of this anyway. So I, I don't know why he even quotes the Bible. We're going to get to his view on the Bible in a second. And Christ has confessed you, which all happened at Calvary. You can't break laws anymore. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> I mean, that's silly that he would even suggest that. The Bible speaks about people uh, still breaking God's law, still, still, still sinning. Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians 3. I mean, go, go read the book of 1 Corinthians uh, uh, if you don't think people can still sin. Um, but this is where you have to redefine sin and, and all this. Only Jesus can be responsible for that and atoning for them. He died according to the scripture for all sin and sinners. That's why I say it, it makes people freak out when I say you'll never know that you're free from sin till you know that you're actually free to sin and still be loved by God and redeemed by Christ. I'm talking. My friends, freedom, and I'm using that word in quotes, freedom to sin is not actually freedom. Christ freed us from this, you know, so that we may live to righteousness. Sinning is not freedom. That is actually putting yourself under, uh, you know, a curse, <laughs> you know, so freedom to sin. See, fundamentally, Colin Pierce sounds like you're, you're a classic antinomian right here. Again, we're going to say that, uh, be more clear about that in a second. Christian lingo right now. Christian and lingo. No, you can argue with me if you want, but there, the scripture says where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So you can't out sin grace. Now, Colton, that is a true verse. Absolutely. But what Colton twist that verse to mean is you can sin sin as much as you want you're actually going to get more verse that's not what that verse is saying and so just keep living in this lifestyle i mean because because i mean the verse says uh, if you go on or uh is it yeah you pass the verse i think it's the next verse uh, next chapter romans 6 1 should would he continue to sin that grace may abound certainly not read the next verse yeah what about also say what shall we say shall we continue in sin that grace may abound god forbid exactly the scripture but the next verse says and i'm sure you don't know it who quote that one all the time the next verse says we died to sin not to sinning but to sin consciousness how can we live any longer in that consciousness john 1 29 i i don't it didn't say anything about this sin consciousness now what he's doing is weaving his new thought um new thought ideology into uh the scriptures and what is what what romans 6 going is going on to say is we're no longer slaves to sin we're not controlled by sin because we're a slave to christ and not a slave to sin uh, and so we uh sin is not our master and so this is this it's not saying that there's no such thing as sin anymore but again this is the dangerous ideology of carlton i think says behold the lamb of god who taketh away the sin not sins sin of the world there was one original offense jesus expiated it he's he paid for all our sins he took it away Ridiculous. it doesn't exist so you can't sin no the punishment 
is done away. He's taking that away. That doesn't mean we don't sin. Again, this is this is bad. This is real bad. But uh, I want to want to get to this issue of because he again he doesn't like all this sin. Like for for Carlton, you know, believing in Yahweh is not conducive to a modern twenty. 2023 you know 2020 you know you know 21st century uh way of life you know we can't believe in this it's outdated all this kind of stuff so let's hear this because in some way they act out differently than we think the bible would have them to whether that's smoking or drinking or living with somebody outside of marriage or same-sex marriage or relationship with with the lgbt there's all these issues if you drink if you fuss if you cuss if you lust all that preempts you from being saved from God. We need to re, uh, review and revise our concept of God. Because your concept of God can affect you psychologically. So Carlton says, hey, all this issue of, you know, you can't cuss, fuss, lust, all this, be adulterous, gay marriage, all this, which we'll get to in a second. If you can't do any of that, we got to rethink that God, right? For Carlton, all this was just getting in his way of his new thought ideology. And again, my friends, you don't have the liberty to rethink God. What needs to be rethought is you, your sin, how you are living in rebellion to God. This is, again, the idea, again, this is essentially what people love to do. They want to create their own God because it's not conducive to the lifestyle they want to live. I am very, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine how sinful his private lifestyle is. This is how he's speaking publicly. But let's get to this issue of gay marriage because, I mean, he, he's, he had trouble, troubling and problematic uh, views on gay marriage as well. L- listen to this clip. The same gender-loving bishop, Church of God in Christ's daughter, Bishop Hamilton's granddaughter, the other Bishop Hamilton on the General Board of Church of God in Christ just retired. His niece, Mother Langston's daughter. I've known her for years. She can teach and preach and worship under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, just as purely and clearly, clearly one of the most articulate speakers. And notice his view on woman pastors. He, of course he's pro that, right? And thinkers and scholars. She's humble. She's sweet. Her wife, Mother Shirley, they call her. Same with the original Hawkins Singers. Is a member of that. Notice her wife. Emily. I can't deny these people who have same gender loving attractions. The Bible says it's better to marry than to burn with lust. If you hear what he's saying is he's saying, hey, well, uh, all these uh, homosexuals. Well, hey, it's better for them to get married than to burn with lust. I'm going to address that here in a second. Marriage is honorable. They don't define it. Y'all don't believe in in gay marriage. Do y'all believe in gay divorce? (laughs) If you get married. Since, since the Bible says God hates divorce, what are you going to do with that? I say let the gay folks marry. Why should the straight folks be the only ones that endure marriage? And all so, he, uh, so clearly he's like, hey, well, you know, if you are anti-gay marriage, then you have to be okay with divorce, them divorcing. My friends, it's not a divorce because it's not a legitimate marriage. Jesus spoke about his view of marriage in uh, Matthew chapter 19, right? Man shall leave his... Uh, mother and father and be joined to a woman therefore the two shall be called one that is marriage marriage you don't you can't read five people come together and they want to have this uh you know 
open marriage you know there's all these views of marriage open marriage all these issues you know but they're they're redefinitions of marriage what is the bible's view of marriage one man one woman they come together and they are one there's anything else you had another number in there there's three people in the marriage you saying male male female female this you're no longer talking about biblical marriage go call it whatever you want but don't defile what god has said about marriage all right so we've talked about these issues of his sin uh, atonement hell uh and things like that what we're going to do now uh I have I'm just looking at my files here. I have three folders. Again, this is a long fo format video. So I thank you if you're still watching, you're still uh, you know, sitting around. I hope that you are enjoying this critique, but you're you're seeing the seriousness of the uh, seriousness of the matter. And we're going to get to his issues of the Bible because if you think Carlson attacked these other issues, he really hated the Bible. I mean, he he thought the Bible was just this house of cards and you know not, not to be respected just old outdated ignorant idiots who wrote about things about god and you know some things are true and some things aren't but we're going to get to that uh let's get to this first clip here is the bible corrupted doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's unclean or it's dirty or it's unhealthy it means that it's 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 unreliable or it has errors that make you question it notice he claimed the man of God claim the Bible is unreliable. So one, he did not. He denies inerrancy, inspiration of scripture um, it, very clearly. He believes, hey, the Bible's you, 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 I never I never got this idea. I never got the idea uh, or the view that I'll be a Christian, but I'll deny everything in the Bible or I'll be a Christian, but I'll reject Jesus's view about the scriptures. Jesus clearly believed that the scriptures were from God and without error um you know and so i i never got this view that you know you want to name the name of christ but yet hold on to things like that just it makes no sense to me and you won't know that unless you do more than read it anybody who tells you that the bible is 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 um infallible and inerrant hasn't really read it so all you idiots out there, you know, I'm using Colton Pearson's, you know, just condescending tone. All you idiots out there, if you believe the Bible is inerrant, you know, inspired uh, without errors, you haven't already read it, read it. You haven't really studied it. You know, doesn't this breed just arrogance? Right. No, I have studied the Bible and I have been uh, encouraged and insured and, and uh, yeah, encouraged in my walk to see the truthfulness of Scripture every time I study it, you know. Uh, I study scriptures and find that the s scriptures reveal more about me than I even knew. Right. As uh, Steve Lawson said, the Bible is the only book when I read it, it reads me back. Right. But no, uh, the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is without error. Uh, and the things that is proclaiming in, in the truth, not that it, I mean, it contains lies of man. Right. But it's without error. Uh, and so, but again, Again, one of the things I say you're going to see a lot is Carlton sounds like your average atheist, uh, you know, you YouTube anti-theist. All the way through that, you don't have to go to seminary <laughs> to, to realize that it's not infallible and it's not inerrant and it may not be the only authoritative. But when you do. Uh so it may not be the only authoritative or, or authority. So Carlton was very open to other books, other religious books 
being authoritative in an equal manner with God, with God's word, the Bible. Word of God. Now, we call it the word of God. The scripture says in John, I'll quote one of the scriptures in it. In beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. The Council of Nicaea. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, it's going to get bad when people talk about this and the Council of Nicaea. I mean, Council of Nicaea, man, everything gets blamed on it. For these people, this conference must have been eight years long because they were talking about a lot of stuff. You know, every conspiracy theory gets blamed on the Council of Nicaea because I, I believe it's the first major con uh, uh, council of the church. And so everything gets blamed, you know, all, all the books of the Bible, you know, all these issues, uh, you know, paganism, any any conspiracy you want to throw in, it gets blamed on the Council of Nicaea. But anytime you have someone saying the Council of Nicaea, you know, uh, that's when all these books got added to the Bible. And that's when they knew what the Bible was, has no clue what they're talking about. And you should laugh at them and tell them, give me a source that says that because I have I have sources. You, you can have a source. You want a source? Check out 2000 Years of Christ Power, Nick Needham's uh, first volume set. It will, will help you on this issue of the Council of Nicaea because this is laughable. The The issue of the canon was not discussed, uh, it, it, even if you wanted to be accurate, not till later. And even then they weren't picking and choosing which books will be in the Bible. By then they already believed uh, much of the uh, New Testament was already uh had been circulating and things like that and they were already discussing these issues but then they had a council to establish uh for facto uh from their from our their perspective and, and again we don't determine canon god determines canon we only affirm what god has said but again let, let's let's hear this ridiculousness which was instigated by constantine who made a a deathbed conversion uh, when he was about 57 years old or when he died, I think 52 years old, something like that. He ordered that Nicene Council and ultimately the Nicene Creed to be organized by Eusebius, uh, Eusebius and about... <laughs> The council, the, the Nicene Creed, uh, let, let me fact check myself because I'm pretty sure it came like 100 years later. Uh but it was I think it was based on the 19 council, but it actually came came later. Uh, let me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it came. It came later. Yeah. At, at least 50 years later from, from what I'm what I understanding. Uh, and so it, revisionist history, all this uh, sort of nonsense is, is very uh, what you see, hear a lot from uh, Caldron Pearson. About, about 1800 bishops were invited. About 300 actually came. To the council. Well, matter of fact, I, I, I knew I was right. Uh, actually, the Nicene Creed came into the sixth century, whereas the uh, Nicene Council was in the fourth century. So, two hundred year gap. Where <laughs> again, so the Nicene Creed, he, he he doesn't know what he's talking about. Essentially, what I'm saying. In three twenty five, this is three hundred years after Christ, and they came up with a canon, a Bible, and a creed, a belief system that was sort of consolidate. The various expressions of Christianity within the Roman Again, the Nicene Creed wasn't formed at the Nicene Council. Again, it came 200 years later. And also the canon was not discussed, uh, not in the matter of formulating which books are going to be in at the Nicene Council. Again, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Laugh at someone's face anytime they say this. You know, lies often are repeated so much they start to sound like truth. So when you actually say the truth, it sounds like a lie, like the Nicene Council didn't discuss the canon. 
No, it didn't. There's no, again, these people, just study history. This is why I'm a big proponent of church history, because if you don't know church history, people can fool you with stuff like this and you think it's true. But again, I recommend 2,000 Years of Christ Power. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get into this issue. We're going to stay on this issue of canon. <laughs> How do you use the Bible? How, what does it mean to you? What, what, um, he says, doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. Doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty. What Carlton Pearson's going through is a bit of a mourning right now because I've made this major shift. I still love the things I've loved. I love people. I love God, whatever God is. And how I, I, I love God, whatever, you know, whatever that is. <laughs> what, what, what? How, how do you, again, how do you speak of this? How do you, how do you use language just so, uh, you know, non-adoring? Yeah, whatever God is, you know, again. God manifests itself in the universe and in me and in my consciousness. But I love, I love the world. I love everybody. I don't judge as much as I used to. And I have studied the scripture. Do you know that the, the King James Version has had 100,000 changes since it was, since it was uh, translated in 1611 to 1779? Irrelevant, sir. You, you know, you, this is, sounds like the guy who just like, you know, you ever, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's someone you have in a debate. They just throw out these useless facts as if they're saying something. You know, it's the guy who's dribbling basketball real fast, but he's not going anywhere. It's supposed to impress you, but you're actually not saying anything. He, he, he's just throwing everything in the kitchen sink. You know, the, the KJV had all these changes. It's, a, it's supposed to actually lead you to think that the KJV is so untrustworthy. You know, we, we actually don't know what it said. We don't know. We don't know anything about the Bible um, again. Uh, <laughs> but that's it's not, not true. Well, the KJV still could be trustworthy. Trust it. Again, I, I like ESV. I like NASB. I like better translations. But the KJV, you can still read the KJV and come to, you know, biblical truths as Christians have for hundreds and thousands of years. That there are 40,000 different versions of the Bible. Really? And thousands more of interpretations of it. All by men, scholars, linguists, archaeologists, historians, who argued viciously over it and changed it every time they, they argued about it. And we call it the infallible, inerrant. So now he's, again, he, he's leading you to think that there are these committees that are inserting their own opinion into this. Now, did Carlton know anything about textual criticism and, you know, he, he, you know the, the languages? Now, he, he presents himself as he does know the languages, but... <laughs> you know, being recalled will have been laughing over some discord conversations about his uh, language, his concepts. He, he's the guy who thinks grapefruit is a, a grape nut, you know, is a fruit. You know, that's kind of how he does etymology and word studies. He, he is a novice when it comes to uh, Hebrew and Greek uh, definitions. But but yeah, he again, Colton, the skeptic. This is my next clip here. Colton, the skeptic. Let's let's check this one out. Prince indoctrination. I've done the research. I spent years studying, not just my years in college when I majored in Biblical Literature, English Bible, and minored in Theology and Historical Studies. I actually studied more after I got out of school. I was, I've always loved the scriptures. I, I love the scriptures. Untrustworthy, unreliable, but I love the scriptures. <laughs> yeah, sure you do. But now, but, but now Carlton, he's trying to do the appeal to authority fallacy, right? I'm studied. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. I've done the research, right? 
Again, someone who's done the research doesn't have to go around telling you they've done the research. They just present the facts and let you come to your own, uh, you know, uh, you know, determination on these things. But again, he, this, he has to present himself as the authority. I still do. I take them seriously. I just don't take a lot of it literally. The Bible it itself says the letter or literal rule lest the literal kills. Spirit gives life. <laughs> so he actually thinks it's when it's talking about the letter, it's talking about the scriptures. So the scriptures are are going to kill you, but the spirit gives life. You don't understand that Paul is using that to uh, talk about the law, law there, uh, <laughs> not not the scriptures. Like you know, you read the Bible, that's going to really really put you in condemnation. But again, this is the eisegesis that Carlton does. I, I have heard him give sermons on passages and my friends to hear him actually accurately handle the text is like finding a needle in a haystack it is very rare i believe in the bible the bible says most of y'all talking listen i grew up around you so i know how you think you don't even know what the word bible means i didn't we don't know where it came from we do know where it came from where to god how you know because it says it is <laughs> well uh who told you that why will you why do you believe that those who read the quran or the bhagavad gita or other sacred writings believe theirs is also the word of god so, so again put carlton next to your average atheist and he sounds exactly the same that's why i say carlton the skeptic he is not a christian he is a skeptic you know he's a humanist you know religion is all about self we've established that but we're working out we're working out, we're working our way through this and i want to now move us to the issue of jesus slash god you know whether that be the father or jesus himself or the spirit as himself but let's let's get into this um my goodness this one was bad let's check this out other people just use holy water or crucifix or they have their their uh their prescriptions um but i've been told call jesus you know what this is going to scare somebody. The actual biblical person of Jesus, uh, we can't prove he ever existed. Uh, that we think maybe there were other Jesus Christ-like people, and the history bears that out. Now, Carlton is a Christian. All right, that's definitely in air quotes, right? He, what, what we're told is he's a Christian. He believed in Jesus. He loved Jesus. And here he is saying... Jesus may never existed. We, we actually don't know and can't prove that. My friends, let me tell you this. Let me take him down for a second. One of the most clearest things about the ancient antiquity, ancient uh, world, is that Jesus existed. My friends, there is more proof for Jesus than anyone before the printing press. The printing press. Let, me, let me just show you. Uh, a skeptic, Bart Ehrman, says, says that, that. Un unequivocally jesus existed now to be fair to bart ehrman he doesn't believe jesus did any of the miracles or anything like that but he says it's unquestionable and undeniable jesus existed now this is an atheist an atheist has more re more respect over the historical jesus than carlton pearson the skeptic again um <laughs> it is an embarrassment of riches to know that jesus christ existed and walked this earth and that they may have brought the sermon that doesn't even bother me because my it doesn't bother him. Jesus may have never existed. It, it doesn't bother him. I, I don't see Jesus as much as a person, though I do see him as a person, uh, but as a personification and a principle. God as well. I don't see a personal God. If they're making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty and nice. 
Now, I don't know what the Santa thing is there, but notice for Carlton, Jesus isn't really, you know, a, 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 uh, you know, r rather than being a, a person, you know, a idea, uh, uh, rather than being a person, Jesus, God is just an idea. It's just a, a concept, you know, uh, and remember, God for him isn't, you know, himself. That's really who God is. And so Jesus never existed. Eh, who cares? Not a big deal. Right. Because it's a concept mainly for him. I'm doing all this to recapture some sense of sanity. There's nothing stupid about believing if you believe accurately. And that's what I'm doing. This is accurate believing, we're told. Just look at the smugness on his face and, you know, oh, I'm better. I, I've studied these things. I've done my research. My friend, if you're denying Jesus Christ actually existed, you you haven't done your research. You haven't done your homework. Um you, you know, there 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 are your atheists out there who do deny that. But there are some that say, OK, yeah, Jesus did exist. It right. They did not. The fact that you have some atheists more willing to grant this point here than Carlton sh says a lot about his Christianity, his version of Christianity. Uh, but I like the Christ example, the model of humanity, of uh, humanitarianism. I think Jesus, uh, if Jesus existed, as they say, I think he was a metaphysician. If Jesus existed, he, he was just a metaphysician. So what you have in, in, in uh, concepts like Carlton is they don't mind the Jesus who said do good things. Right. They want the you know, this is kind of repackaged in the social gospel. But the you know, the the hard you know, there's a book, uh, John MacArthur, the hard sayings of Jesus. They don't they don't like that stuff. You know, forsake everything. Follow me. We can get rid of all that. Right. Uh, repent or perish? Oh, no. You know, Luke 13, 3, Luke, repent or perish? No, we don't want, we want the humanitarian Jesus. You know, these are the people who pick, pick and pick apart the Bible, what they like, and they, yeah, they cherry pick. They, they, they present and, and they cut the Bible in half. They have a Gnostic view of, of the scriptures. You know, they pick what they want in it. And that's the Jesus they want. So by the time you end up seeing Jesus, he looks totally different from the scriptures from the Jesus presented in the in the Bible. I think it was a he was a uh, a sacred humanist more than just savior, apostle, prophet, you know. Notice, Jesus is more of a sacred humanist than some uh savior. Again. <laughs> Men of God, right? Come on. Teacher, he was all that. But I want to be remembered as a sacred humanist who loved cared and had compassion for all of hurting humanity. And I will grant that you are a sacred humanist, but I will not grant you, Carlton, that you were a Christian. And neither should any of us. Three um, more clips on this uh, on this issue. Uh, guys, it, it, it's going to get worse. Let's deal with this issue of God again. Who, who is God? And what are they based on? Now, when you come from our background, it's solidly based on the written scriptures. In the beginning was the word. It's the Greek word logos. It, it references an utterance or a conversation. We, have, we get the word logic from that and the word logistics. The logical conversation, in beginning was the conversation. And the conversation was with God. And the conversation, the logos, the logic, the rationale, the reasoning, and the logistics was divine. Is there a such thing as divine logistics? If it is, we might call it science. Science makes sense. They supposedly prove things through science. So essentially, Colton, <laughs> science is God. 
that is what we're to believe John 1 is apparently talking about. Re- utter ridiculous. Uh, this, it's not speaking about this conversation that was happening between these divine logistics. Again, this is utter ridiculous. Um, I'm, I'm debating which clips I go, should go to next. Let me let me just start off because I titled this clip Blasphemy. Let's see what I got here. In my in my traditional uh, uh, colloquial Pentecostal language, I believe the Holy Ghost said to me one day. So note, I want you to hear something. He's saying, hey, you know, to use his his, uh, you know, his uh, religious background, he's saying God told me this. So listen what to what the spirit of God allegedly is telling Carlton. Do you really believe what you're preaching? Yes. How do you know it's correct? So so the Holy Spirit is presenting himself as a skeptic. To Carlton. Now we all know this is just Carlton Pearson projecting himself onto the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit didn't tell you this. Holy Spirit didn't come to you in a skeptic, skeptic as a humanitarian skeptic like yourself. Well, it's in the Bible. What do you mean by Bible? Your word. Whose word? Who knows my word? That's my word. All of y'all say that's my word. I don't even need words. <laughs> You just don't understand me without me talking to you. <laughs> so Carl's like, I don't need words. I, y'all need words. Again, the arrogance. But but again, the Holy Spirit didn't tell you that nonsense. He, he didn't come to you questioning that which he, he inspired. Do you think that the serpents who spoke to Eve and Adam uh, spoke in Hebrew? Do you think yeah. <laughs> that um, that God speaks Hebrew? Yes. Well, if he speaks Hebrew, he speaks Japanese and Chinese, and if he's omnipresent, meaning everywhere. See, remember, when I told you just a second ago. He'll just throw random things out there. It's it, again, it's it's throwing everything in the kitchen sink. He just throws out all these hundreds of arguments, hoping one will stick to one skeptic out there. Omniscient, omniscient, all knowing. Science means knowledge. Uh, omnipotent, all the potential of power in the universe or anywhere is God. All the potential of knowledge is God. Same omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God admitted in the sixth chapter of Genesis that he made an error. He made a mistake. Oh my, what have I done? The word repent means to sigh ruefully in Hebrew. He went, oh, this ain't gonna work. I repent. I regret that I made these folks. He says God admitted he made an error again. See, so he is now putting sin on God, that God was clumsy and, again, capricious and, and just ignorant. Uh, the, the, what you have in that Genesis 6 passage is, is God showing deep sorrow over the sin that is going over on, over the earth. Not as if like, man, I, I, met, I really messed up going on, on here. I, I didn't know this was going to happen. That's not presented in Genesis 6. They're human. They're mortals. I ain't down with this. I don't like this earth project. In the subconscious mind of many people, they know that God is upset and God is angry and God is jealous and God is discontented and God is insecure and God is paranoid and he's making a list and checking a trial. So the gospel of inclusion, and there's a book that I wrote for all of you that have questions and I know there are many of them. I'm just trying to make things a little clearer. Um, it's okay to rethink. That's what the word repent means, metanoia, to change the mind or to reconsider. Literally, after you have thought, think again. 
Now I've questioned and questioned and questioned. I asked the questions, I answered the questions, then I questioned my answers. This is a book called uh, The Gospel of Inclusion, Reaching Beyond Religious Fundamentalism to the True Love of God and Self. The God of Self. You know, what Carlton wants you to rethink is clearly what the Bible teaches. This is why I say he hates the Bible. He hates the God of the Bible. He hates Jesus. He hates the gospel. Again, what I think I've, I've achieved, and, and we're, we're not done, we're, we're coming to a close, but we're not fully done yet, is demonstrated Carlton Pearson's uh, hatred for these things, for what the Bible claims. Uh, he didn't believe any of this stuff. These are just, again, he, he, he just couched his unbelief in Christian language. So, yeah, the Holy Spirit, you use all that, but he, he doesn't mean what you mean. He doesn't mean what you mean when we say God, good news. He doesn't mean anything you, you mean, resurrection. None of those. He, he, he's arguing as your classic liberal. Uh, but it gets worse. And it's something we care about deeply on this channel. That's the divinity of Christ. What did he believe about that? There are cultures and their cults. Christianity has become, for the most part, a cult following of Jesus. And we should follow Jesus. He never expected us to worship him. Jesus never expected us to worship him. When you have, you know, the, the, the whole of humanity of the redeemed saints in Revelation 5 worshiping him, he never expected that. He, you know, he never expected it. When they, when they coming down, I, I believe it's Matthew 22, someone correct me if I'm wrong, where they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, worshiping him. No, never expect any of this. Never expect any of this. When somebody said, good master, what master? He said, whoa, 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 back up. Hey, dude, who you calling good? <laughs> Jesus was not denying that he was good. What Jesus wanted this man to know is why. Why he believes he's calling him good. You need to know who you're actually dealing with. I mean, Jesus goes on later to talk about he's the good shepherd. <laughs> he's not denying he's good. So is he actually saying Jesus wasn't good? I never understood why people use this passage. Well, Jesus, he didn't say he was good. So he's evil. Why are you calling me good? That's like calling me God. Yeah, because he is God. I'm a God, but I'm not the God. But notice what he says. Hey, I'm a God, but not the God. So Carlton Pearson rejects the deity of Christ. You know, which is very common in, uh, you know, Pentecostal circles. Now, generally, they're uh, more Unitarian. Seems like he's more Arian, which is interesting. But Carson Pearson did not believe in the deity of Christ. You know, Second Peter 1, where Jesus called Lord, uh, uh, Lord, and, uh, God and Savior. Uh, I mean, John 8, 24, uh, Jesus is called the great I am. Uh, I, I mean, Titus 2, 3, God and Savior, you know, all, all this issue. So he's not the God, he's a God. You know, John 1, 1 dispels that notion. I'm a son. John said only begotten. John, where did you get that from? Well, he got it from Revelation. Even Paul, who quoted, uh, in him we live and move and have our being as one of your poets have said. That wasn't the quote unquote word of God. And I've reared back and preached it like the way. In him we live and we move and we have. And boy, y'all shout it, and I did too. We was kicking it, but I was quoting some Greek uh, philosopher. <laughs> Paul didn't even call his name. Sometimes Paul said, "I say this, not the Lord." So he's trying to so get all that stuff you call the word. So all he, he's trying to get around all this whole deity of Christ stuff. Paul never said that in reference to the deity of Christ. Well, I say, and he doesn't even understand the whole issue of uh, 
I say not not the not the Lord. What he's saying is he didn't get this command straight from Jesus, but it still is the word of God. Uh, he, you know, he's making reference. So it actually shows uh, knowledge that Paul knew about the uh, writings about Christ, the Gospels. Uh, so, again, he, he's showing major ignorance on these issues. God, uh, the word of people who were seeking for God. And the Nicene Creed was and the, the Council of Nicaea wasn't something that necessarily the Holy Ghost called. Constantine, the Roman emperor, chose the place and the venue and paid Eusebius and others to put together a collection of documents. <laughs> so now, again, all this conspiracy theory, Constantine paid Eusebius. <laughs> Constantine paid Eusebius to, to, to start this council. And to put books together, this is your, your 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 revisionist history on steroids. This, I mean, this makes the Black Hebrew Israelites look like they're sane when talking about history. Called the cane or canon that helps us walk. And now he said the cane canon means is you know from cane which helps us walk. I <laughs> said so his uses of etymology of words is terrible. Canon is referring to the rule, not some cane you need kind of help to walk you. I mean, this that's. To bring some unity to the church. It took them 300 years of men sitting around tables, drinking wine, getting high, some of them drunk, cussing and fussing and fighting to get certain books in the Bible. There are hundreds of books that didn't go in it. It's been redone several. I am a lost word. See, I can't even get it out. This his, this These councils took 300 years for this council to come about and council, they drinking, smoking, all this and doing this. And, and they taking books out the Bible. Again, things that didn't happen for 400, please. Um, all right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. We, we got one more folder to get to. One more old folder to get to, and I have this titled as Universalism and Other. So we're gonna get on these issues of what he thought about eternal damnation and universalism. Uh, that is, or yeah, who who can be saved, and just some other other things. So we have three clips here. Let's work our way through this, and let's start with our first one here. Let's get it. So I'm, Kojic is all I'll ever uh, be, but an expansion of it. I, I'm four generations classical Pentecostal. I mean, I'm into new thought, science of mind, universalism, I, I, I'm transcendentalism, some aspects perhaps of Zen Buddhism. I love all those things, but I still speak in tongues. I love the Holy Ghost, how I'll quicken. I know how to pray. I know how to preach and I know how to cast the devil out of it. <laughs> so notice all this kind of syncretism religion he has. He's this he just all all these combination and, and, and you know, amalgamation of all these different philosophies and ideas. But notice he just, you know, all, but mixed with Kojic, which is a mess in itself. Um, all right. Let's let's go to this next clip here because he's going to talk about church fathers. Right. And even though I'm new thought and I'm involved in universalism, which the first 500 years of Christian history Church fathers were all universalists. <laughs> now, anytime someone says all, you know, everybody, you, you got to be careful because all you have to do is quote one person. Now, again, I, early, early in this, um, you know, clip, I, I did show where, um, you know, Justin Martyr and Arrhenius believed that there were going to be uh, people who, who go into an eternal lake of fire. Um <laughs> so, so the fact that he says this, like I said, I've already provided evidence that that's not true. Matter of fact, it was the majority believed 
and exclusivism. Now, you did have universalists like Origin. Origin was a universalist. I'll, I'll grant that there were universalists, but to say that they all were universalists for the first 500 years of the Christian church is absolutely utter ridiculous. They all believed in the finished work of the cross. When Jesus and believing in the finished work of cross of the cross is not meaning you are universalist. Said it is finished. The word is tetelestai in Greek. It means mission accomplished. Battle done. We're not talking about um, uh, mission impossible. Tom Cruise. We talking about mission possible. Jesus. The yeah, mission accomplished for those whom for his people matthew 121 his name shall be called jesus because he will save his people from their sins uh jesus was not a universalist the 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 gospel which which means good news evangelion you is good angel or messenger uh is good the good news is that the bad news is all wrong but some people i remember jesse dixon saying to me so bishop uh to some people the the gospel is really the, the good news is just too good for some to believe. No, the good news is good news for all who believe, uh, for, for God's people. There's still bad news. There's still bad news. If you reject the good news, if, if you reject what the gospel says, there is no good news. There's only remains wrath, as the Bible says. Uh, all right, we got, we are finally getting through this. We got one more clip. And I'm interested to see what it says, because I just have this title, Nonsense. <laughs> it, it broke my heart that so many people were so quickly, quick to drop a friend, a brother. Now, he's talking about how, you know, after uh, Come Sunday came out, you know, or, or re really what the movie is talking about, his him embracing universalism as denial hell. He's so upset. He was so upset. It was kind of sad that people reject a brother, you know. You should expect you in your firm heresy, people are going to drop you. That, that is a good response. You know, even if I had fallen in a sin, of course, heresy for most folks, I think they would have received me better if I had been having an affair, an adulterous affair, a fornication affair. If they now, he's probably right because uh, Pentecostals, you know, for, for many in the church, as long as you can sing, you have some kind of gift, they'll kind of sweep your sin under the rug, which is, again, it shouldn't be done. Found me. Um, embezzling money or I think I would have been treated a little kinder but when I became a quote-unquote universalist and said everybody is included and enclosed in the caring love and mercy that endures forever of course that's a, a specific contradiction to eternal doom or and no it's not a contradiction because God can be merciful to a certain people and also display his justice and judgment on people there's no contradiction again he what he wants what he's doing is pinning the attributes of god against one another it's what's being it's many people do this with uh god's attributes already you know you bring up anything about judgment it's like god it's god of, god of love as if the love of god just wipes away who god is his holiness and character condemnation or damnation uh they one would cancel out the other but so notice what he's saying the mercy of God is casting out the wrath of God. Most people are not that reasonable. We just want to accept help. So the problem is we're not reasonable. You hear that, idiots? Colton Pearson says you're not reasonable. You're dumb, stupid for believing in this. Uh, people say, uh, many saints walk up to me and say, well, Bishop, are you telling me if um, uh, that I can just do anything I want to do and go to heaven? 
I said, well, let's let's first talk about what you want to do, sweetheart. No, how about? But notice that doesn't even answer the question. He's like, well, well, let's talk about what you want to do. That's actually a valid question. But he avoids it, skips over it, and goes to something else. Brother, who do you want to do? What do you want to do? Nasty. Why do you want to do it? Who do you want to do it with? What are you thinking? Y'all are quick to throw Jesus away. Without, we don't need, without hell, we don't need Jesus. So all Jesus is for you is a spire escape? No one is saying that. No one say, oh, the well, only reason we need Jesus because we want to escape some hell. My friend, you need Jesus for everything. Your next breath. We need Jesus for everything. You don't like his teachings. You don't like his love. You don't like his forgiveness. Uh, you don't like his deliverance ministry. You only need him to get you out of hell. That's the only way you cannot even imagine a kind, loving, revolutionist, metaphysician like Jesus, uh, the one in the Bible, um, unless he can get something, give something to you or get something from you. That's... That shows you where your minds are. Nonsense, Carlton. And it shows you where your heresy led you to. And again, so that, that's all the clips we have. But I, I wanted to do this video. And I know we're probably around an hour and a half now. Um, I wanted to do this video because, again, I have major concerns with his teachings. Again, I didn't spend my time attacking the man. I dealt with what he said in light of what the Bible says. Carlton Pearson unequivocally uh undeniably denied the christian faith i believe it is without question but again hey mike todd celebrated this man as a christian christian man of god william murphy the legacy of the great carlton pearson td jake's talking about god create another one please god <laughs> no please i beg god don't do that all these men women Coming together saying Carlton Pearson was a great man of God. But yet this is his true legacy. Guys, I hope you enjoy this video. Stay vigilant for the deceiver is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. To the next time, grace and peace. Yo, grace and peace. Thank you for watching another episode of All Things Theology. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go on and give me a like. Subscribe to the channel. Hit that notification bell. I promise to give you weekly lives, videos, interactions, exposing false teachers, sharing with you, the viewer, my theological beliefs, things about the culture and the Bible. So if you're here for that, come on and join us. Also, if you would like to support this channel financially, you can do so by becoming a Patreon member or a YouTube member. Links are in the description below. You can see content before it drops. You can also have Q&A sessions with also other Patreon members, YouTube members as well. So if you would like that, hit the description link in below.